podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four and England have won the match! Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. Lots of fascinating developments over the last couple of days in the cricket world. I'm going to pick out, obviously, England's emphatic win against New Zealand in the first test at Monganui. Australia capitulating 113 all out in Delhi to give India an easy victory in the second test. And also England women doing well to beat India in the World T20 as well and more or less secure their place in the semi-finals of that tournament. So three intriguing performances and all followed by the man who we haven't heard from from a couple of podcasts but who is now sort of masquerading as the type of TMS listener you hear from who's in the Malaysian jungle following the test matches because Simon Mann you're in California but you can take the man away from cricket but you can't take cricket away from the man. No, I've been gorging on it. It's, it's been actually fantastic to be here because the India Test match and the England-New Zealand Test match have been sort of in my time zone. So it's been, I've been able to watch loads of cricket in the last few days and it's been absolutely fascinating. So, th- so for most people, of course, the New Zealand Test match is starting in the middle of the night. It's really difficult. But actually for me, it starts late afternoon, perfect evening watching so I've been watching uh, lots of it we're not there of course uh, Test Match Special doesn't have the rights uh, for this series but what what cricket we've had over the last few days I I was mesmerised by Australia's collapse in Delhi uh, because that the England New Zealand Test Match finished in time uh, to turn over and watch the start of play in Delhi Uh, 90 minutes they lost nine wickets unbelievable utterly bewildered they were well, what a terrible house guest you must be. You're staying with your brother and you're just spending all your time watching cricket. No, he, well, he's away at the moment. He, he's away. Uh, so he's coming back tonight. So I've been looking after his dog. So it's, it's, I've been you know, completely free to do whatever I want. Football, cricket, dog walking, reading, all sorts of things. It's been fantastic. Oh, OK. Well, listen, we're going to uh, focus particularly on a major achievement by... The English pair, of course, I'm referring to Jimmy and Stuart Broad, Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad, who have now become the leading wicket-taking pair in world test cricket because they've taken between them 1,009 wickets when they were playing in the same test match. And that's overtaken the famous partnership of Glenn McGrath and Shane Warne, who were on 1,001 wickets together before this first test in Mount Monganui. So... Brody and, and, and Jimmy have gone soaring ahead as the leading wicket-taking pair in world cricket. A fantastic achievement. And we're going to hear a bit from Stuart Broad about how their partnership works and why it works too. But, I mean, I suppose firstly, before we, we get into that, just a fantastic performance by England uh, to well, win the game in uh, barely three days. It just took just into the fourth day to knock New Zealand off and get a 267-run victory. Amazing. The last time I was in Mount Monganui on England's last tour, the sun shone for five days, the crowds turned up on the grassy bank. It was a wonderful game uh, to, to be there to enjoy, but England lost by an innings. 
They got absolutely steamrolled. Uh, BJ Watling made a double hundred in 11 hours. Uh, Joffre Archer bowled over 40 overs in the innings. And it was a great New Zealand victory. England completely turning the tables uh, this time round in a very different sort of game. Of course, pink ball day-night test match. And that had a, a huge impact on the game. England playing the way we become accustomed to England playing, going aggressively at it, taking New Zealand on on that first day after being put into bat, getting an, enough runs to be in the game to declare and then bowl under the lights. And as it, as it turned out, that, that was the, the big difference in the game, I think, the fact that England were able to make the most of bowling under the lights. They got wickets in both occasions to set New Zealand back. And although I thought the pitch actually was pretty flat, to be honest. I mean, Daryl Mitchell showed that today. I mean, if you had some support at the other end, you thought, well, how, how are they going to get him out here? He looked so solid. But, of course, they'd done the damage under the lights. First innings and then second innings, Stuart Broad, uh, magnificent. Uh, you know, just, just enough movement. Mm. And, and utilising that fuller length that he's been exploring, really, over the last two or three years, started under the Joe Root, uh, regime actually and we'll hear a bit about that uh, in, in due course but certainly he's bought into the whole kind of aggressive cricket kind of approach that obviously England are, are really blazing a trail with now and this is now what 10 wins out of 11 for Ben Stokes since he took over as captain uh, to totally reverse the trend before of one win in 17 uh, under the, the, the end of the, the Joe Root reign so it has been an incredible turnaround. Harry Brook was man of the match again. Uh, so th- there's more and more things. I think he's now the fifth most successful player, having played five tests, of anyone in history. And these are including people like George Headley, the great George Headley, who was known as the Black Bradman, and Sonny Gavaskar, who uh, had a phenomenal record when he first started for India. Another one is um, Herbert Sutcliffe, who is... I think England's leading test match batsman by average, he averages over 60, playing in the 1920s. And Harry Brook is is in that group of, of players after five tests. It, it's just ridiculous how well he's done. Well, when someone does a podcast in a in 100 years' time, they might look back and say, uh, the great Harry Brook, because he does look destined to be a, a top class player for England he's already a top class player and if he stays fit and and focused and all everything you know he has a fair wind then yeah he could be a, a tremendous uh, player for England and I, while I was watching that test match it, it did that thought did come back to me how does Johnny Bairstow again get back in this side because because Brooke replaced Bairstow um, anyway that's that's a pro- not a problem it's an issue for England uh, down the line it's great to have uh, so many options it's interesting listening to Harry Brooks uh, post-match interview for player of the match when he said well there was no real standout performances in this game it was sort of like an all-round uh, team performance well I mean Brooke made 143 from 122 balls that that's pretty standout I mean there were some good performances you know Broad and, and Anderson with his wickets and, and Ben Duckett making runs and uh, I thought Ben Folks had a good game as well I probably missed out one or two because it was quite it was quite a good all-round performance but 143 off 122 balls uh, from Brook, um, it, it was tremendous striking again. Maybe they can think about uh, Ben Stokes opening the batting. <laughs> if they need a way of, of getting Bairstow in, which I think they do, then it could be one of the openers is under threat and maybe maybe Crawley gives way to, to Ben Stokes. I don't know. It's a bit tough on a captain to have to open the batting as 
I'm sure you know the likes of Alistair Cook, Mark Latherton, and so on will will say. But that'd be one way, I suppose. It'd be a slightly madcap opening partnership, wouldn't it, with Stokes and say Ben Duckett? But anyway, nothing's impossible with this England team. Well, nothing's unimaginable really with this England team. And one thing that is extraordinary, I think, is the performance of Broad and Anderson to now go past the great McGrath and Shane Warne to be the leading wicket-taking pair in Test cricket. So just to remind you of those figures again, Anderson and Broad have taken 1,009 wickets in the same Test match together, uh, overtaking McGrath and Warne, who took 1,001 in 104 tests, interestingly, whereas Anderson and Broad have played 133 together, so 29 more tests it's taken them to get to that figure. So it just shows how incredibly potent McGrath and Warren were. In third place, Mataya Muralitran and Chamindavas for Sri Lanka, 895 wickets between them. Kirtley Ambrose and Courtney Walsh come in fourth, 762. I must admit, when they when they got to that figure, I thought it was a pretty hard one to, to beat. And in fifth place, interestingly, uh, a one that could still extend, though they're a long way behind, Nathan Lyon and Mitchell Stark, who have taken 580 wickets between them in 73 test matches. So 580 is barely half what Anderson and, and Broad have achieved. How many more can they achieve, I suppose, is is one question. I mean, if you look at their averages, Simon, of their, their averages in, their, in test cricket, they're actually getting better. So, for instance, if I look at uh, Stuart Broad uh, over the last sort of three or four years, in the year 2020, he averaged 14 with the ball in test cricket. In 2022, he averaged 25. And this year so far, he's averaging 24. And that compares to his career average of 27. And in Anderson's case, even better in the year 2020, averaging 20 with the ball in Test cricket. Year 2021, 21.74. The year 2022, he took 36 wickets at 19.8. And so far this year in the one Test match, he's taken seven wickets at 7.71. And, you know, again, his record overseas now 231 wickets at 30 so much better than it was you know say four or five years ago it's amazing how they've improved both individually and collectively and I just the the skills they seem to be acquiring I mean the way Broad took these wickets in this last test match in the second innings classic Broad bowling round the wicket targeting the stumps, just moving the pink ball a little bit this way, a little bit that, inducing the drive in a couple of cases, which was something he never did three or four years ago, and getting through four bowls were his wickets in, in the second innings of New Zealand. So it's, it's just it's mind-blowing watching their, their, their skills. Of course, they've been saved or st- uh, you know, spared having to play one-day cricket for at least five or six years since England lost the World Cup in 2019 or got knocked out of the World Cup in 20, 2015. But still, it's incredible, don't you think? It's astonishing, yeah. Uh, and you, you mentioned the fact that they've, done, they've taken these wickets in you know, many more test matches uh, than McGrath and Warren. And, and McGrath and Warren were fantastic bowlers. I mean, Shane Warren, perhaps the greatest bowler ever to live, and, and Glenn McGrath was you know, not, not far behind him as well. And people said, well, they, you know, they, it's taken that Anderson and Broad 30-odd games more to do it. I mean, they're, they're, they're quick bowlers. I mean, to stay on the field for that length of time is, is incredible. That level of fitness 
you know, to extend your career, keep going, be motivated the whole time to, you know, to be on the field. I mean, Anderson is, well, he's, he's probably not, he's not going to play 200 test matches, but he's, he's, he's moving into the 180s now. He's, he's, you know, he's very close to playing that number of games. It, it's phenomenal to, to keep your body in that condition for that length of time and to come out in this test match seven for 54. I mean, incredible figures. Uh, really, and yeah. they pro- probably yeah. got yeah. one. I don't know one big push to come for for Jimmy and um, Stuart Broad saying, uh, you know, the Ashes is not going to be my last series. I think I, I read a quote him, him saying that. Uh, you know, but you've got to remember Stuart Broad is younger than than Jimmy Anderson. But you know, phenomenal just to be on the field as well. I remember Alistair Cook saying that. But you know, what was what was your greatest achievement? It wasn't necessarily all the runs. It was those consecutive number of games that he played just to be on the field. That mental and physical toughness that you need. And Anderson now, 682 test wickets, so that means he's just 26 behind Shane Warne in total. Uh, he gets another 27 test wickets, which is certainly conceivable in the next few months. One more test in New Zealand and then obviously the Ashes and Ireland, if he fancies that one as well. He probably will uh, in June, July. And, and he could easily soar straight past uh, Shane Warne. But let's, let's hear from Stuart Broad because I was at his first test match in Colombo in 2007. And I remember thinking then, how many test matches is this guy going to play? He, he was young, he was thin, wiry. He was very inexperienced. He was probably a little bit naive, actually, as well, understandably. He'd been quite a star batsman as a, as a kid, as a sort of teenager. And I didn't really see his bowling necessarily being test class at that point. And in a way, probably he had his doubts as well, because he took one for 95. And I asked him fairly recently, before they, they headed off to New Zealand, I asked him, what he thought that day, how long his test career did he think might be? Uh, I never thought about test wickets, um, but I, I do remember being really clear that I didn't just want to play for England. I never really had a goal of just playing for England. I wanted to be successful for England. I wanted to play and win test matches for England. Um, so I remember being told I was playing the day before the game. Um, and Ian Botham, sorry, Ian Botham came into the change room and presented with me with my cap. And obviously that felt very special. I was like, wow, like how good is this? I'm going to play. But I never remember thinking, I never remember feeling, oh, I've made it then. Mm. I was like, right, what's my next challenge? What do I need to do? Where do I need to go? Um, and I played in Sri Lanka. And actually it was a really good place to, to, to make my debut because, you know, on Hawkeye, which is our tracking system, which judges how pitches move. And it's the flattest pitch in the world. Mm. It does the least. So if you're ever going to walk into test cricket and think, oh, this is hard, it's there. And I left that, got home for Christmas. And I remember thinking, you know, this is a next, this is a next step up. There's no doubt about that. I've got to have variations. I've got to be, you can't, have spells that you just take it easy you've got to charge in all the time and actually I went to New Zealand the after Christmas sort of January February really really like switched on and motivated to to how I wanted to go about it and I Jimmy and I actually came into the test side for Harmy and Hoggy at um, Wellington and both of us did quite nicely and I just remember feeling like the intensity that I would bowl every ball at just went through the roof um 
and it was a good realization. Yeah, I'm not saying it would have been different if I played at Trent Bridge and got five for twenty, but it might have been easier to go. Oh, I've made it. If that makes sense. Mm. But actually, one one for ninety off thirty odd at Colombo was like, wow. Okay, I remember Jai Wardner walking out to bat, mm. and his highest scores came up on the big screen and it was like 290 270 250 two, all at this ground colombo colombo and i thought oh no this is going to be a tough uh, a tough few days but um no I, I mean i i i really loved the experience and i loved the 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 togetherness of it and um i, I remember i i got home that uh, that christmas and put my england cap on top of the christmas tree that was my star Wow, lovely! Oh, what a great thing to be able to do because it was just before Christmas, wasn't it? You you mentioned Jimmy there, who you know you've obviously established this amazing partnership with him. But when you first came into the team, and he was a little bit older than you and had a, had played a little bit more, was there a rivalry? You know, was there a competitiveness? Because you know, I suppose technically you could have got his place, or he could be sort of looking at you as a young pretender. So was there a bit of uh, you know sort of tension between you at all, or were you have you always been mates? Sorry, I've just seen uh, Becky C type. Stuart has both fewer reviews and better success rate than Jimmy, which I don't care if that's made up. That's just made my night. <laughs> um, uh, so there is a rivalry um, between you, definitely, then. Do you know, there, there's we're very competitive and not against each other. We're, we, we have... Um, I'd say our relationship has probably gathered... A huge momentum over the last six seven years um we we talk all the time outside of cricket but i think that makes our relationship very strong on the field we have one goal and one goal only with that new ball and that is to outthink out adapt the opposition opening batsman to set the tone in the right way for england and mm. our way of setting the tone is to try and obviously remove the partnership um and grab the game by the scruff of the neck and go 1.5 two and over and that's how we feel we create pressure so when the first change bowler can come on they're bowling at two for 20 not one for 47 so they can then settle in and and have a nice start and jim and i complement each other hugely through that i can't think of many occasions over the last five, six years when we haven't broken uh, an opening partnership, one of us, um, because we always talk about partnerships in cricket in batting, don't we? The, the two mm. batsmen go out and bat together. It is so vital in bowling. Mm. You have to realise if one of your bowlers is in great rhythm and and say we've got David Warner and uh, Bancroft or Harris or Kawaja out there, if Jimmy feels in a brilliant rhythm against Kawaja, I have to make sure that he's bowling the majority of his balls at him. Mm. So right. if I'm bowling the last ball at Kawaja, then actually one off his little thigh pad to fine leg for one, great news. Mm. If I if Kawaja's at the non-striker's end when I'm bowling my last ball, I have to bowl a doppel. So it's all that sort of, it's a tiny, I don't know if mm. you call it like nuances or it's like the chess game of test cricket, which... I just absolutely adore. Um, well, you're a great, uh, you're a great disciple of um, 
Glenn McGraw, weren't you? And when you first sort of came into the game, and I remember he what one of the things he used to do with Warren Shane Warren and him in partnership was uh, if he felt that there was a batsman that could really struggle against Warren in the next over at the non-striker's end, he'd bowl a bouncer way over the the striker's head, the last ball of an over, to make sure that the non-striker was on the strike against Warren for the next over. So you, I mean, so, your partnership is brilliant like yeah. that, obviously. So one thing you always notice, Jimmy and I, we feel mid-off to each other when yeah. we're bowling. Yeah. And that is just constantly talking. Mm. Who do you want to bowl at? What are you thinking? Should I put a cover in? What about a third slip? Is it that sort of pitch? Uh, do you think the Knicks are going to go fine? Do we need two gullies? Fine leg, should it be finer? Should it be square it? And it's constant communication. You've got to bowl a bit fuller, mate. Come on, a bit fuller. That embeds in us as a partnership. And actually, there's times where Jimmy might bowl into the wind and feel uncomfortable, or I might bowl into the wind and feel uncomfortable and go, I'm having a nightmare here. Maybe I should follow you. Or they might mm. see it differently. Because you know from your 20 years of playing, you feel you can feel very different watching the game from mid-off than you do bowling. You can and be also, bowling and yeah, thinking, but, I'm, just, but... I'm just not in the game here. It's much better than being at fine leg where you feel completely detached, actually. You know, I think I can see why you do that. I mean, bowlers grow down and graze at fine leg, but actually they're completely out of the sort of conversation. So you, with the way you two work together, it's it's a real symbiotic relationship. It's it's brilliant. Um, there's, I was going to just um, – one thing you've had to do yourself is, is sort of, um, you know, adjust your, uh, you, you know, your lengths over time. And the effect that has had, interestingly, that little tiny difference of what about two feet in length, I suppose, has created these much greater percentages of LBWs and bowls. Fifty-seven percent of your wickets in the last two years, LBW and bowled, fifty percent a couple of years before, but much lower levels um, in the previous few years. Uh, it's a great stat, that isn't it? But how hard is it to do that? How hard is it to change both? Physically and mentally? It's the mindset, definitely. Mm. Um, I remember clear as day, uh, it, we got to Hamilton in New Zealand uh, in 2018. So it was after the last Ashes series. Am I, am I the right year there? Yeah, 17, 18 was the Ashes. And then we went mm. to New Zealand in like the March. And Ruti said, we've got time for a coffee. We went down to the hotel um lobby and he he just we had a coffee and he just said look i i think you could start to try and bowl fuller with the new ball and me being me typically i need a reason for that i need stats for it i need facts for it why 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 because i always ask those sort of questions until i sort of can accept things and um gradually over the next two or three months it would be that conversation of come on let's go a bit fuller a bit fuller a bit fuller and that coincided at a time with peter moores um and the analyst at knots who had done some work on my percentage of leaves so i when i bowl brilliantly my leave percentage i only get left like 15 to 17 percent of the time when my when i bowl averagely i get left 25 30 percent and above so actually bowl fuller and make them play more and my stats will be better so it was very much like analytical work with rooty's gut feeling 
that just got fed in over that 2018 summer. And then mm. I, I have one thing in my mind now, not necessarily bowling for looks. I think that's a bit ingrained in my, my action now. Make the batsman play, make the batsman play. Because um, that, that keeps my competitive like hunger in the game up there. You know, because I, I, I'm not someone who can run in and bowl with that 7-2 field for five overs and be happy. I, I, I need to make the batsman play. And actually, I'm a huge believer the best ball in test match cricket is the one that nips back because your best away swinger or your best nip away beats the outside edge more often than not. If you nip it back, it brings the LB and bowled in and you're in the game massively. I mean, there's quite a lot in there, yours, isn't it? But I think one of the interesting things is this idea of them being a team. You, you, know, you, you think of you know, batters batting as a team, you know, opening partnerships, but actually opening bowlers, uh, bowling as a team. I mean, you, that's something you must have experienced during your career, you know, benefiting from the guy at the other end and the guy at the other end benefiting from you. Undoubtedly. I think probably I benefited more from the guy at the other end than, <laughs> than the other way round. But I think what's, what's interesting about them particularly is how they work together uh, and they sort of feed off each other and a bit like opening batsmen, actually. An opening batters can sense if one guy is sort of getting on top or struggling against a particular bowler and either sparing them that uh, exposure or giving them their lead, giving them their head if they're in a bit of a ro- on a bit of a roll. And I think Anderson and Broad also see if one guy's, if Broad's in one of those spells, you know, Anderson is happy just to sort of take the back seat, make sure he bowls tightly. I think it's, it's interesting there, Broad saying that if he sees that a batsman is struggling against Jimmy, he'll try and make sure that Jimmy's bowling his next over at that batsman. And McGrath and Warren were also very good at that. McGrath particularly mm. making sure he bowled a maiden over so that the likes of Daryl Cullinan or whoever else was uh, Warren's bunny down the other end had to face the music the next over. And you just sort of feel with Broad and Anderson that they're kind of plotting a batsman's downfall, aren't they? Not only with the ball, but chatting away at mid-off, just picking up on little idiosyncrasies, weaknesses, perhaps field setting changes, just anything that they can sense. They've got this antennae of being able to pick up. And because they're also slightly different skills, Anderson, you know, and the natural swinger who can, you know, basically got the ball on a string and pitch it wherever he wants and and just swing it a little bit this way, a little bit that, sometimes the big swinger occasionally. Broad, more of a seam bowler in my view. He does you know, make the ball swing occasionally, but he, he uses his fingers cleverly. He ang- uses angles. He'll go slightly wider of the crease. Obviously, it's absolutely peerless going round the wicket to left-handers now, giving the likes of David Warner an absolute nightmare. And I'm sure that's uh, to come in the summer again. So exploiting the different sort of trajectories and angles that he can produce, whereas Anderson is more the, the master of swing and seam, really. Yeah, just interesting on, on Warner, whether the, that battle will be... Uh, rejoined in the summer, he, he he seems to be on the dip, doesn't he, David Warner? And if if the Australian selectors sort of go on on relatively recent form, then does he make the Ashes trip? Obviously, he had to withdraw from this Test match uh, because of concussion. Very different uh, pitches, circumstances in India, completely different Test because he had that desperate time last time in England. What did you make of Ben Stokes saying uh, before this Test match? Well, it's an interesting point you made. I want eight fast bowlers, fit and ready for the summer. 
Um, Anderson and Broad are going to be two of them, and they they you know they're managing. I mean, they're managing Jimmy. You have to, I think, at his age. Dare I mention that? I mean, they didn't play him in the last Test match in Pakistan, for example. They do use him sparingly. Uh, eight fast bowlers. I've written actually down ten names here that that are in the frame. So okay. Broad, Anderson, Robinson, yeah. Stokes, the four who played in this game. Then Archer, Wood, Potts, and Stone, and then Fisher and Wokes. So I think those are they actually got ten who are sort of in the frame. So they presumably want eight from that. Those ten that might who knows there might be a bolter, there might be someone else out there, perhaps someone I haven't thought of. But those those are the players that have have played for for England uh, are in the international frame at the moment. So you know, it's interesting. Stokes is thinking ahead about the Ashes. I don't think there's any doubt about that. You know they they know it's coming. Uh, I know they've been obsessed with it in in the past, but they're they're enjoying what they're doing at the moment. But we all know it's round the corner. Yeah, I, I I can see what he means, Stokes, and, and I think actually it's it's partly about horses for courses. So, for instance, somebody like Jimmy Anderson, he doesn't have a great record at Old Trafford, for instance, and or Headingley actually. Uh, you know, places where you'd expect you'd have thought, well, obviously Old Trafford with a stand named after him, and Headingley where, you know, traditionally it's a, a swing and seam place. He hasn't got a great record. Uh, he hasn't got a great record at the Oval, actually, either. Uh, he's got a fantastic record at places like Lords and Edgebaston. So, you know, it, it, although I'm not suggesting you leave Anderson out just because of his record at a place, uh, at the same time, you probably will need an archer or a wood at somewhere like Old Trafford, where the ball bounces and you can get reverse swing and, sl- and stuff later in the game. Uh, at the Oval, too, Archer did really well against the Australians there three or four years ago. So... I think it's just kind of that there will be injuries. It's a, a tight series, as usual with the Ashes nowadays. It's in space of about six weeks. There'll probably be some long days in the field. You've got ageing bowlers as well. Chris Wokes, we haven't even really mentioned him. And of course, unless, unless you're watching BT Sport, you've probably forgotten him because there he is sat on the sofa with Alistair Cook now. I mean, he'll he'll probably come into the frame as well at some point. So it's mm. it's great to have that that option and not something so available to Australia. Interestingly, is it the, the traditional home of quick bowlers? And really, they've only got two or three cracker jacks, and they look a little bit exposed when they're when when those star bowlers are not fit. Mm. Yeah, I'm not to- not totally convinced by that. Um... I mean, they've got Jai Richardson, they've got Scott Boland. Um, Richardson's fitness is always a, or has been a, an issue. And they've got their, you know, their big main men. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, that, I think Australia will, will have the options, but they will have uh, the resources. And, and they've also got a, a quality spinner as well in, in Nathan Lyon, who, you know, who will, one imagines, do a good job. And they've also got yeah, a couple of promising spinners. I've been quite impressed watching Todd Murphy. I saw him play in the Big Bash and, you know, he's been catapulted into the... Test match arena, biggest test of all in a way, playing against uh, Indian batters in, in home uh, conditions. You said there, Yoz, uh, it, England will have probably a lot of time in the field. Of course, one of the things that has happened because they score their runs so quickly and they get out so quickly is the bowlers have actually got less of a turnaround, haven't they? Um, although I did notice in this test match a change of tactic from England. I, I welcome this. People say, oh, you old codger, but I actually welcome this. And I thought England, in the second innings, in the middle session of the third day, actually batted with, with a great deal of, of guile and common sense. They were 2.37 for six at the interval. It was actually the T interval, but it was the end of the first session. They were 2.56 ahead. They had four wickets left. 
And the pitch was flat, you know. It, it, I, I, you know, Daryl Mitchell batting so serenely on the final day it just just showed what was possible. And I think England sensed that they they needed a few more here. And I remember in my, my mind went back to Multan, where that was another flat pitch, where England just sort of slogged it up in the air and they lost their last few wickets quite quickly. And they actually gave Pakistan a chance of winning the game. And I think, I don't know whether they learned from that or whether they just... I mean, they didn't have quite as many runs on this occasion as they had in, in Multan. Um, but one of the contrasts there was that Ollie Robinson was one of those who slogged it up in the air. In this instance, he actually dug in and batted really well and batted sensibly and got England's lead up to 390, which obviously they didn't need in the end. But you, you sense if they got bowled out and then New Zealand started batting uh, in, the, in the sunshine, then they could have made a decent fist of it because I, I think it was, a, it was a flat pitch when the sun was shining and obviously when the lights came on, it was, it was much harder. So what I saw there was a, 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 a tweak from England. They did dig in and, and the stats bear it out as well because they were, they were rollicking along before lunch, scoring it over, well over five and over and they reined it back in. 112 runs in that middle session, still pretty good, in 27.5 overs at 4.14. So there was definitely a change of plan and Stokes was part of that as well. He wasn't just going out there and... And thrashing it around, I just you know I just wonder just looking at this England batting lineup and and yeah, there is in the top seven. It seems to me there are four who are you just allowed to play their shots, and three who just play as they play. And I, I actually don't I don't think that Stokes is a great if you like for inverted commas baseball type player. I think Stokes just bats and he'll score really quickly anyway. He doesn't need to go out, you know, whacking it up in the air, running down the pitch. He just, he's so good, he doesn't need to. And Root's the other one. Root had a 110-ball 100 there for the taking in both innings, in my, in my mind, which is, you know, perfectly okay. And he was out reverse-sweeping twice. I know he does like to reverse-sweep the spinners, that's fair enough. Um, but it just it just seemed odd in reverse-sweeping Bracewell in the final over before lunch. I'm telling you, you had a 100... I, I was sitting there thinking, Root's going to score a 110-ball 100 here. No, no trouble at all. He's just going to knock it off and then he plays the, the reverse-sweep. And the other one, of course, is Folks, who actually, in this test match, did just play, play normally, played like Ben Folks plays, and actually had a really good game and made a really significant contribution. What's the goal of a test match. What's the goal? Is it to win? Is it to entertain? Is it to both? To do both? I mean, well, I think if England you can probably... do both. If you can do yeah. both, then ideally you do want to do both. I, I you know, I mean, I, I, I've had a kind of about turn about this, really. And I used to think that it was vital that you won test matches. But I think mm. that the way the uh, formats have evolved and the popularity of T20 now as well means that test cricket is struggling for its, you know, kind of get, keeping its head above the parapet and being attractive to people and being something that will draw crowds. So if you can make test cricket entertaining, mm. because it is the ultimate form of the game, and I think it's the most satisfying form of the game for the players, and actually even for the supporters, if you have lived through a really hard-earned victory over four or five days... That is that leaves you with a great, much more deeper feeling of fulfilment than you know a quick kind of sprint to the line in a T Twenty or even a fifty over game. So I think actually entertaining. You know, I always used to think, and I know I only played county cricket, but I used to think that was my fundamental uh, requirement mm. responsibility was to entertain. And actually, to be quite honest, although there are many jokes about 
my failure to help Middlesex win the NatWest 1989 final when I got smacked for six by Neil Smith in the final over and we lost. Although, you know, that's become kind of identified as the sort of defining moment of my career in many ways. I actually wasn't that upset about it because I thought it was a great game that had some twists and turns and an unexpected victory. It helped a player, Neil Smith, who was struggling in his career, get another contract. And in fact, he eventually played in the World Cup for England. And people mm. remember that game because it was a, had a really exciting finish. So in a way, you've done your job as a professional cricketer. OK, the Middlesex fans will, won't thank me for saying that, but we did win other t- trophies you know, in previous years. It wasn't as if it was the first one we'd ever won or anything. And I, I think in the end, your job is to entertain, especially in, in the longer format, because it's the format that is least appealing, apparently, to the general public. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. We're still talking about that game 40-odd years later. Yours. Uh, no, 30-odd years later. Sorry, I, I aged you by 10 years there. Yeah, probably probably because you were in, involved in the drama at the end. But, it was yeah, it was a great finish. I can still see it now, you know. I can still see that shot now. Uh, all, all those years later, and actually, in, in modern terms, it, you know what it, the, the number of runs that he scored off the last over. You, you just knock him off with your eyes closed now, wouldn't you? You wouldn't wouldn't think t- twice about uh, doing what he did in that final over. It shows how but, the but, game I mean, has developed. Yeah, I mean, going back to your point about what? Root and, and Stokes, uh, particularly in the way they're batting, I suppose there are two different explanations. In Root's case, he probably feels a bit aggrieved that he hasn't had. The chance to play, you know, IPL and be in England's T Twenty side and things. I, I think he should be in both, but he hasn't done enough to demand a, a, an inclusion in either. And I think he's probably trying to make a statement that don't forget about me because, although obviously he's still got a, a very good test future for the next three or four years, there will be a time when he might want to to play some franchise cricket to you know almost like a a pension for him because, you know, it's great money, it's fairly easy money and it will stand you in good stead in the future when you're not playing anymore and you're a long time retired. So in his case, I think he's trying to make a statement about, look, don't forget about me in this short format. In Stokes's case, he's captain, he's imparted, he's implemented this fearless, aggressive, no-holds-barred sort of philosophy. And I suppose he doesn't want to sort of seem as if he's now, oh, well, I'll, I'll actually play, I'll play a slightly selfish game for a bit. Um, I, I want to still be the one who's blazing the trail and everyone else can follow behind me. And OK, if I don't come off, it doesn't matter because somebody else probably will. It, it, so I think he's sort of making sure that his captaincy statement, he's living by his captaincy mm. statement and leading from example, like leading by example, which, of course, Owen Morgan did first... I mean, there were times... Owen, I remember a couple of one-day matches when Owen Morgan went in and he hit his first ball, tried to hit it over mid-wicket for six and was caught on the boundary. And he, did, he wasn't disappointed because he was saying to the team, look, I want everyone to play like this, so therefore I should too. Yeah, I mean, we could we could talk about this for a long time. I'm not. I'm. I, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying uh, Stokes is not an aggressive, exciting player and shouldn't play in an aggressive, exciting way. What I'm saying is, is that he he seems to me one of those players. If he just gives himself a little bit of time to start with, he can get in, and then he can score so quickly. He can just take you apart. No, I mean, and I th- completely that... agree with you. I, I I totally agree. That would be his best way of playing. But he mm. wants to stay on message. Yeah. 
But, I mean, the, the Stokes innings that you probably remember are the ones where, you know, he does do what I just suggested, that he has most success. And you and you end up marvelling at his wonderful, aggressive stroke play because he has just given himself a little bit of time. So, it, anyway, it's just something that, that struck me uh, during this game. And Ben Folkes is not, you know, Ben Folkes just plays normally and, and might, mighty effective. He did at Old Trafford when England won that test match against South Africa. Uh, it's interesting, I thought Joe Root in the second innings... Um, he he didn't try that reverse sweep against the seamers that got him out in the first innings, um, so I don't know whether he it I don't know it was it was a, it was he just looked so in control in that the fifty odd he made in the second innings and and he was scoring so freely anyway, um, you know it's, it's it's I don't know it's entertaining enough as it is I mean if you if you've got to score at six seven and over to entertain is you know is five and over not enough what do you understand what I'm saying what is entertaining and you know one of the great thing one of the great things about test cricket is it does have those it does have those ebb and flows sometimes you know you have that you might have to just dig in for a bit because the bowling's tricky whatever I don't know it's 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 it, 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 I'm not decrying it at all. It's it's fantastic. It's really entertaining, and you you know you go along with that sense of what's gonna what's gonna happen next. But I, what I did note, and and I think this is interesting, is in that that middle period of the of the third day, England did rein themselves in. There was a deliberate tactic to do so, and one of the reasons was they wanted to bowl under the lights. They wanted to extend their innings. So there was some, you know, there was some logic to it as well. But they were also under pressure in the game, and I, I think that's what's wrong with that. That's absolutely fine. It was a, it was a really good, um, skillful, clever, astute tactic. Um, so what what what's wrong with that? No, and and actually, bowlers aren't stupid. You see, they realise if they go for it and get out early, they've got to go <laughs> exactly. back and bowl. So you want to, you know, you, you want to delay the, the moment of mm. having to run in and bowl and you know, kind of jar all your your body when you're running into mm. on on what is effectively concrete uh, as long as possible. I, I'm just going to ask you one other question quickly: Is Baz Ball affecting Australia now? Is it has it infected <laughs> Australia? Because in the second innings in Delhi, they all they went out in a blaze of shots. They were sixty odd for one, hundred and thirteen all out. About six of them out sweeping. Yeah, it was it was extraordinary. I don't call it Baz Ball, by the way, because um, Baz McCullum doesn't like it. But Mark Richardson uh, made that point. He, he, he asked Ben Stokes in the post match. TV interview, you know, it's Baz Ball. He said, oh, don't, call it, don't call it that. He doesn't like it. Ben Ball then, and he'd be bristled at that as well. And it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a fine shorthand, isn't it? I don't, I don't, I don't know why they're so Well, everybody recognises it as a term, don't they? That's the thing. Yeah, it's, not, it's, just, it a, it's just... No, it's just a shorthand, isn't it, for, for the way England are playing. It's, it's, you know, there are other ways you could describe it. it. It basically means the same thing. Well, Australia went from... You know, they went from 20 miles an hour to 90 miles an hour, um, it, you know, compared to the first test and the, and the second test match. It was utterly mesmerising uh, watching it. They just looked so scrambled. They looked bewildered. And you could, you could see when the, when the, you know, if they missed the ball, you could see the, the TV cameras focusing on the face of the batter. And they were, you know, they were sort of twitching and, oh, you know, you, you, you know hand movements where you say, oh, it's, you know, it's spun or it's done this, you know. And they looked... They they looked under pressure. They looked like a team who felt they couldn't quite cope with it. They looked out of control. They looked like as if they were a team cycling downhill with no hands on the handlebars. You know, it, it was it, while trying to solve a puzzle at the same time. It was, it was. You don't expect it of a of a top class team uh, like Australia. But I think the the pitches, the quality of the Indian spinners are sort of 
got into their minds. I mean, they, you know, as you say, they were out sweeping, reverse sweeping, slogging. Pat Cummins came in and tried to slog his first ball. It kept low and he was bold. And the TV cameras focused on the Australian dressing room. They immediately cut to the Australian dressing room. There's Labuschagne and Smith giving each other a look as if to say, what on earth uh, was that? Uh, from the skipper, although Smith himself had, had gone out trying to play a big, a big sweep shot with his head up in the air, he wasn't really looking at it, and he was out LBW, so his shot, you know, was nothing to write home about. I mean, that point here is that the you know, the Ashes in the summer are going to be completely different. I mean, Australia playing three spinners in the summer, they're going to be playing lots of pace bowlers, so you can't read anything into it. But it, it's fasc- it was just a fascinating to what fascinating ninety minutes of mayhem for Australia. Yeah, and India uh, hold all the cars after that then with uh, gone 2-0 up in the series. So they've retained the Border Gavaskar trophy, haven't they? And also they're closing in on the World Test Championship final as well. They need to win three test matches to to guarantee. It's down to three teams now, uh, India, Australia or Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka have got quite a lot to do to to qualify. They've got to go to New Zealand and, and win there but if I think if this series finishes 3-1 then India and Australia will definitely uh, contest the final of the World Test Championship and that'll be a, a great game won't it actually in mm. at the Oval in early June the Oval yep. has been announced as the venue for that match and that that's a good place for India and Australia to play because it might turn towards the end of the game but it should be a fairly a fair pitch for for most of it. So Australia's faster bowlers will be able to to hold sway, and India, of course, got their own very good fast bowlers, very good attack. So uh, it, it should be actually a hell of a contest. That yeah, definitely. You th- you'd think the pace bowlers would be in the game. Well, they will be in the game a lot more than they are in this series uh, in India. But there might be something there for the spinners as well with the extra. Banks. Just one thing uh, b- before we say goodbye, Yoz, just one thing on this New Zealand-England test match and um, talking about quick bowling. I've never seen as much short-pitch bowling in a test match as we've seen in the last three and a bit days in Mount Monganui. A lot of it was Wagner, but England were doing it as well. New Zealand, did, did, you know, with, with, with Kugeline, uh, banging in short the whole time. It's funny, isn't it, how the game changes 90 years ago? That Bodyline series, everyone was up in arms. There was nearly a massive diplomatic incident. One team's not playing cricket. Now, everyone just runs in, bangs it in short. People just shrug and whack it into the stands for six. If you take one on the body, out comes the physio. Bit of magic spray, on you go. Next ball, short, hook, six. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing how the game has developed. People say cricket just is a stick-in-the-mud game that never changes. Well, we know that. We've done many podcasts about it, how the game has developed and changed radically. Uh, over the course of, of time. Not least, actually, because now batsmen stand with their bat up, don't they? Like baseballers. And that's come from T20. And in a way, it makes it easier because their bat is already up, raised at sort of shoulder level. That it's, it, it makes it easier for them to play those pull and hook shots. And it's funny, but someone like Brian Lara, obviously one of the greatest batsmen that's played the game, he wouldn't have been nearly as good, you know, without a, do- a decent helmet. He was hit quite a few times when he was young and uh, survived because the helmets were much better than they were in the previous sort of decade. And now when people get hit, it's, they just shrug it off. It's almost irrelevant, isn't it? I mean, Broad, Broad gets hit for a pastime. Every, every time he bats, he gets hit and mm. has to change his helmet and all this. But it, there are very few actual injuries, aren't there? Uh, even though, the num- despite the number of short balls that are bowled. Probably more injuries in the crowd from people trying to catch the, the top-edge sixes. 
Yeah, you've, got to, you've certainly got to pay attention on those uh, grassy banks. I mean, that is the one thing, of course, I suppose, with Bodyline 90 years ago, they didn't have helmets and people were banging in short the whole time. And so it was, it was a much... Yeah, it, yeah, but I suppose you played it differently, didn't you? You, you, you didn't try and take on the hook. You, you ducked and weaved and bobbed. And I suppose that's, that's what makes it very watchable now. People have got helmets. They are taking it on. Catches in the deep. Is it going to go over there, sailing over their head? You know, is it going to disappear into the fielder's hands? And, and, and Stokes, actually, of course, we, one thing we haven't mentioned, Stokes breaking Brendan McCullum's six-hitting uh, test match uh, record in this game. He, he actually hit two sixes in successive balls. One went over the fine leg boundary, and the other one was caught on the boundary. But the field, I think it was Wagner on the boundary, just couldn't keep his feet in time and, and fell over the rope. And Stokes had his second uh, consecutive six. Yeah, they just they just take it on. And I'm sure... It's, they're going to be taking it on again in Wellington. I mean, it's great, actually. I think I think the first three days in Wellington have sold out, which is phenomenal, isn't it? It's it's great. For and the that game. just shows, doesn't it? You know, entertainment does does draw in the crowd. So you know, long may it continue. Yeah. Uh, also, who the people will be going for it will be the England women who play Pakistan in their final group game in the World T20. And the good thing is that if they top the group by playing Pakistan, they won't have to play Australia in the semi-final. And everybody yeah. wants to avoid Australia until it gets to the inevitable yeah. final. So well played to England's women, who've really done extremely well. They looked a little bit shaky against Ireland in the second match, but against India, they played excellently. Alice Capsey looks looks a star, and uh, Nat Siver is just going from strength to strength, and of course Sophie Eccleston absolutely masterly with the ball. So uh, England women in a strong position to do really well in that tournament. Uh, keep your eye on it because there's some really fine players in in that team. They're really entertaining as well. Welcome to twenty four hour cricket. I mean, it's basically what it is at the moment, isn't it? Or has has been? We've got a bit of a lull now. Uh, well, you can't watch it for 24 hours because two test matches have finished. But um, it's it's been a feast and 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 so much uh, to talk about, Yoz. But no one is is commenting on it in the streets of Los Angeles, presumably. <laughs> I've, I haven't I haven't heard anyone mention it to me yet. But then um, it's it's quite. A, uh, I haven't actually bumped into that many people really walking the streets in the sort of, and slightly in the sort of leafy suburbs with the San Gabriel. I think it's called the San Gabriel Mountains in the distance. There's actually, there's some snow on it. It's been quite cold here. I came for a bit of winter sunshine, and um, there's snow on the mountains and a cold wind blowing. Anyway. Uh, I heard it's an absolutely delightful spring day in in UK today. Good good luck to you all. Yeah, it, it feels like cricket weather actually, and it soon will be. Of course, it's only a couple of months to the start of the county season, and actually March the first, a lot of counties are back in their marquees on their squares practicing. So. Not long to go. Okay, well, that's it for today. Uh, have a good trip back. We'll speak to you when you're back in the UK. We'll be back with you midweek. See you then. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now. Podcast Network.